watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes! Yes, it's me. It's me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keep clapping. Clap for the pre-Hanukkah miracle. How would we know that you wanted the pre-Hanukkah miracle if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you for taking a break from probably being at home all day, thanks to the lockdowns. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. It is the day before Hanukkah, and I come to give you your first gift, which is this show. I hope you like it. This is a a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, Twitch. I think we're on MeWe. In Parlor, I think. I think we are. I, I believe we're on MeWe and Parlor. We are everywhere. Check us out on all your podcasting apps. Anywhere that you go that's on the internet that allows you to see things that are from other people, we are almost assuredly there. Check us out everywhere. Be sure to share this video. The last thing that big tech wants is for you to have an opinion outside of what they allow you to have. So you can stick it to them by sharing this video. The last thing that I want is for you or any of your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-ish long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, as always, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in the Libertarian Party or in any other party on this 
blessed nation of ours. This episode, of course, is also brought to you by Black Coffee, spelled B-L-V-C-K, because nothing matters anymore. You can spell things however the hell you want to. Go to B-L-V-C-K, that's now how you spell black, blackbrews.com, to have some of the most delicious cold-brewed organic coffee to ever be horrifically misspelled. Be sure to use the checkout code MW for Muddy Waters for free shipping. And of course, this episode is brought to you by... I don't have that graphic, but it's also brought to you by Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you are personally injured in the greater Tampa Bay area of Florida, I have some fantastic news for you. Well, I mean, I have some generally good news for you. If you've been personally injured, it's probably not good news. But if that happens and has already happened, there's nothing I can do about it. But I do have some good news for you. If you are personally injured in that general area, I have an attorney who will get money for you. His name is Chris Reynolds. He's a good man. Uh, go to ChrisReynoldsLaw.com. He's a great attorney. He will get you money. Uh, I mean, I guess I can't promise that, but he will do his best. And uh, he's such a good attorney that you probably, if you have been injured, he's probably already at your hospital room waiting. Um, so go to ChrisReynoldsLaw.com to find out more about him. Uh, I would like to, uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. If you like that song, you're going to love the rest of them. And the end of this, you have to watch now. You have to watch the whole show. And at the end of it, you'll hear the outro music that's also from Joe Davi. And you can have all of that. And much more for the amazing price of like $23. It's like nothing. You buy everything the man's ever made. It's like less than 30 bucks. Go get it today. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious, ultra-pure drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode. It is kosher and made in America, just like me. Bulubanaka. Happy Hanukkah. That is delicious water. Shout out to Taron Turks' mom, as always. Guys, my guest tonight is a libertarian activist from the great state of Oklahoma. She was going to be running for Oklahoma State Senate, but she ran into some pretty absurd barriers that prevented that. And uh, we're actually going to be talking about that as well as her future plan. She is a real superstar, and I plan to get in on riding her coattails as soon as possible, very, very early, and I'm all about getting in on the ground, ground floor. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please join me in welcoming to the show Mrs. Natalie Bruno. Natalie, thank you so much for coming. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Spike, for having me on. Absolutely. It's a real honor uh, to have you on, and I, I can't wait to talk to you. It's, uh, it's, uh, I've heard nothing but good things about you, and I hope at least half of them are true. If they are, this should be a good episode. At least, at, at least 25%. At least 25%. That should be, I mean, that really should be sufficient for a decent episode. Uh, so, you know, everyone just, you know, keep your expectations low and we're, we hope to jump over them. Um, but folks, uh, tune in uh, with your, be sure to chime in with your questions and thoughts. Uh, muddied admins are standing by and Natalie and I will uh, tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Natalie, you're, this is your first time on the show. Welcome. And uh, whenever I have someone on the show for the first time, the first thing that I ask them, uh, especially if they're a libertarian, is what is it that brought you to libertarianism? Was it kind of an aha moment or sort of a gradual evolution of time? Everyone has their their story. Tell us the Natalie Bruno story. Yeah, so um, it was definitely an aha moment, and it's probably a story that mimics a lot of other stories. There wasn't anything kind of spectacular. So 
Um, I like to make the joke that I have literally been registered as everything at some point in the time in my adult life. Uh, when I was 18, I started out as an independent because I didn't want to be a part of anything. Um, and then I, you know, read into things. And I was like, well, maybe I'm a Democrat, registered as a Democrat, realized I was definitely wrong there. Um, then switched over to Republican, still didn't feel like everything was, you know, right. And so I was visiting with a good friend of mine, uh, well, a couple good friends of mine, and was discussing how I was like, well, you know, I just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. I'm very fiscally Republican, but I'm socially Democrat. And they're like, well, then you're a libertarian. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like liberal, libertarian, I'm not liberal. I'm right, Republican. right, right, right. Like, no, 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 no. And so they went in, you know, explained everything to me. I read up on it. Um, I've listened to, because I'm big on audiobooks, because um, I like to multitask, um, libertarian mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly where I fit in. This is where I'm supposed to be. So that's kind of the uh, the trail that brought me here. That's interesting. So this was more you just kind of talking with your friends and saying, I don't know where I fit in. And based on what you said, they're like, yeah, you're a libertarian. Were they also libertarians or they had just heard of it? So one of them is a libertarian, um, not a registered libertarian, okay. uh, just because of wanting to participate in Democratic uh, primaries. Um, but the other one was not a, a uh, libertarian. But they had heard of it. And so they said, you're a libertarian. And you're like, okay, what's that? And then you looked into it and found out more. That's very interesting. I, uh, uh, I have had some people on that have been, that have been like that before, but you, usually it's, you know, there was some major event that happened or something like that. So that's very interesting. So, uh, and now are you, you're, you're, you're in Oklahoma. Are you originally from there or did you move there recently? Like, I... No. So, okay. So I was a military brat. My father was in the army for 33 years. And so okay. I have ping ponged all over the place. Now, I was technically born in Oklahoma, even though we moved to Germany right after. Um, But I did move back here to Oklahoma when I was 18, and I have lived here ever since. Okay, so So you've been in Oklahoma. It's been a long time since I've been back. Okay, so you've been in Oklahoma. So people, I'm in a similar thing where people will say, are you from Myrtle Beach? And I'm like, yeah, because they'll say, are you born and raised in Myrtle Beach? I'm like, well, technically I was born in Baltimore, but we moved here when I was five, so... Yeah, kind of, kind of from here. So yeah, um, so you're you've you've been here for quite some time because you're now twenty two, right? Oh, of course, yeah. With, okay, with so about been, thirteen or so anniversaries in there, yeah. Thirteen or so <laughs> anniversaries of being twenty two. So you've been there for a good solid four or five years. Um, yeah. So you've been you've been you've been in Oklahoma for a few years now. And what was it that got you into the? Is it is this was this going to be your first time running for something? Yes. Okay, so this was. Okay, what was it that that gave you the idea of running for, I guess, running for office in general and then running for this specific office? Great great question. So basically, I have always wanted to get more involved in politics. Um, I've always kind of been a behind-the-scenes person, though, um, helping with marketing and advertising and campaigns. Obviously, I was on uh, Yours and Joe's campaign. Yep. And kind of playing that whole portion of it. And and honestly, the main reason was because I always had it in my head that a political candidate had to be perfect. And since I've been divorced before and stuff like that, I was like, well, I don't know. And then, you know, the oh, more no. and more I got into it, I realized I'm like, these people are far from perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was like, really? I was like, I've got a pretty strong background to be able to do this. And, you, I, you know, I've been spending so much time in the community just engaging with people and donating my time. Um, I, I've been 
a part of so many things that have made me realize how broken certain situations are that I realized, you know, it's enough of just talking about making change. The right. only the best way to make the change is to be the person that can influence and make the change. Absolutely, exactly, exactly. And it's it's interesting that that you said that I used to think that there were some things in my past and I mean it's all like minor stuff that I've even talked about on the show and like stupid stuff like I got arrested in 2009. Uh, for but it was dropped like it was something I didn't do and it was like over a disagreement with the tow truck driver like stupid stuff and I was like but I got arrested and they're gonna say and when I, like when people asked me to run for the VP nomination I'm like oh I can't run I got arrested in 09 and I made this website or I did what you know like like, like little silly and they like so and I was like what that's not a deal breaker they're like we don't care about that at all and then eventually like I actually I spent a good week um with the with uh it was team supreme that tried to get me to 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 run and i i started basically just giving them all the oppo research and eventually we ended at me saying you know i was a real jerk to my girlfriend in eighth grade and like you know like it was like the final thing and they were like we don't care and i'm like okay then i guess i can run but yeah no it's we're all flawed people natalie like you know a divorce is i you know it's 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 very common i think i'm the only adult who hasn't been divorced well i guess my wife too I think we're the only people that haven't been divorced. Um, so, I mean, it's because it, people say, what marriage number is this? And I'm like, just the one. And and it's so, you know, it's it's interesting. But uh, when uh, when people reached out to me to and, and you reached out asking to, to for me to be on, I knew your name from the team, from the from the campaign that you would help that you were doing stuff in Oklahoma for us. Um, I hadn't worked with you directly because Oklahoma was one of the like, I think eight states I didn't visit, um, which I hate. Yeah, and they were not happy about that. Uh, they uh, just as a funny little caveat. So th- we literally knew that you were going to be driving right through, going from Kansas to Texas. I know. And I even jokingly kept trying to put a stop in there that wasn't there yeah. uh, to get them to stop. Like they tried everything to get you to stop, which was great. But I know. hey, that just means that whenever you do come, you know you're going to have a good group of people here. Oh, I know, and I was looking forward to doing it for for you. I may still come. I honestly, I. I I have to give you a little bit of background there. I think I may, I don't know if I told you this when we talked uh, to, to set this up. The reason we couldn't do Oklahoma was because there was a certain, because of, thanks to big government, uh, because of uh, driver uh, regulations for the number of hours that a driver can drive every day, the bus had to go past Oklahoma in order to be able to drive to the next stop in, in sufficient time to get there. So See, literally, that what's that? I said that makes complete sense then. So you can thank big government for the fact that I wasn't in Oklahoma because I wanted to do Oklahoma. And I actually asked early on, I'm like, I don't even know, because it would have been like the stovepipe handle part of Oklahoma, I think. And I'm like, I don't even know if anyone's there. Would that work? And they're like, yeah, that's not the problem. The problem is that it's whatever. So literally, instead of being in Oklahoma, we were already in Lubbock, Texas, waiting for the bus to catch up, and they had to stop in like Amarillo, and they didn't even do anything that day. And it was entirely because of stupid government regulations. So you can chalk another one up to big government. Big government doesn't want Spike Cohen in Oklahoma, and uh, so that's what that was about. But when when uh, when you know all of a sudden after shortly after the election, maybe a couple weeks after the election, even before you reached out, I had like. No exaggeration, like 20 people reach out to me and go, you have to have Natalie Bruno on. You have to have Natalie Bruno on. And I'm like, 
okay. Yeah, Natalie Bruno, she was part of our team, right? Yeah, 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 but she's running and she's fantastic and you're going to love her. You need to have her on. And I thought, well, just the amount of excitement behind the people who were saying that I needed to have you on, I thought that's enough of a compelling reason that I should probably have this person on. Like I said, I was not joking when I said I plan to ride your coattails. Um, but uh, so you, you've, and we, we talked about it on the phone. You actually, like if you, in this run, you have quite a connection with the community that, that you're in, right? Yes, I do. So I have always, um, my, my dad's always called it a sailor's mouth, but a servant's heart. <laughs> so I like I've always that. been really involved in the community. Um, I was a CASA volunteer. For those who don't know what that is, it's a court-appointed special advocate for children. So in cases where children have been removed from the homes, they they act as like an unbiased individual that can give um, opinions and stuff to the judge, work with DHS um, in cases to help kind of reunify families. So I did that for about four and a half years in Carter County. And then once I moved back to the Oklahoma City metro area, I have been a basketball and soccer coach for the YMCA for the last several years, as well as um, helping with the schools. I'm also on the associate board for Oklahoma Lawyers for Children. Um, And they work alongside um, deprived children cases as well, where they uh, offer free attorneys to uh, the children to act on their behalf to make sure that everything is happening. Oh, no. In the best interest of them. Wow. So, so you're an underachiever, basically. Just a little bit. Like you have a lot of, free, so because you had a lot of free time, you thought, I think I'll Why run for run? Oklahoma. I don't have any, I'm not doing anything. So I might as well go and run for Oklahoma Senate. Well, that, that's fantastic. You know, it, it was, it was very depressing. I'm not going to lie. When, when you wrote me and told me what happened and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, I was mm-hmm. really sad because I was telling people, like literally earlier that day, I was like, I'm going to be going probably sometime January, February uh, to Oklahoma to help stump for and, and help raise money and, and, and awareness and, and, uh, and, you know, activism for Natalie Bruno. She's going to be running for the state Senate spot. And she sounds like she's a perfect fit for it. She's, you know, pillar of the community and, you know, does all this great work with kids. And, you know, there's a tremendous amount of excitement, both in the Oklahoma party, surrounding state parties, and just the national level. It's a perfect race because, you know, they be able to hyper-focus on it because it's the one race going, blah, 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 blah. You know all this stuff better than I do. Mm-hmm. And and then I get a thing from you that says... I'm tissue so I can start crying again. I'm sorry. Then, yeah. I'm sorry. Listen, we can cry together. We can cry <laughs> together because I was, I, you know, when I, when I, when I, and then when I saw your thing and I'm like, crap and and, but i said i still want to have you on so we can talk about this so you you had every intention of running and you're i'm gonna let you tell the story because you know the deadlines and everything else and you can explain why you're not able to run yeah so um it was a really stinky situation so our state chair had messaged our um our campaign group and was like i've got some bad news i was like what like I was thinking it was just another candidate um, that was announcing that they were running because like right. for the week prior to that, <laughs> I swear more people have stepped up saying that they were going to run for this position than I, I, think, I think probably ever has. Like it just has generated so much buzz. So I was like, you guys are welcome for creating all this buzz around this uh, seat. But anyways, so right. <laughs> he had mentioned that the, um, that the election board had reached out to him and basically let him know that uh, one of the other candidates had enacted the Freedom of Information Act to pull all of my data. And it was brought up that I uh, had just registered in the district in July. So 
so it would be five months from the date that I'm re-registered till then. And they were like, were you not registered before then? And I was like, well, I was registered, but I had been in my house for about two years and from where I was previously here in Oklahoma. And I did not immediately re-register. I just kind of waited. It wasn't a big deal. It was something that I just kept meaning to do that I didn't. And so I just took me forever to actually register, just like changing my, you know, driver's license. Um, to that address because if you look on Ballotpedia or any of the things that were searchable, it just stated, you know, in order to run in a partisan race, you have to be registered as your, in your party for at least six months and reside in your district, which I met both which of those Which you families. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then um, they brought up, well, no, that actual legal documentation states you have to be registered in, in your district. district for at least six months. So I will have from the date of registration to the first day of filing, and I would have missed that by about three weeks. In your state Senate district, not... Yes, in my district, in my district. I don't even think I'm registered in my district. Well, you might want to go ahead and do that. (laughs) No, I'm... I'm, I'm, if, if I'm going to run locally, yeah, because I... Well, depending on your state, your state might be different, but in Oklahoma... You have to be registered in the district in which you're running for at least six months. Yeah, I registered when I was a kid and still live with my mom. I think I'm registered in the, well, it's in the same county, but it's it's definitely a different state senate district. So if our rules were the same and I decided I wanted to run, I'd be as equally screwed as you were. So this yep. wasn't just you discovered this. This was one of your opponents did a did a, a FOIA. And 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 basically, you know, did a bunch of uh, uh, oppo research on you, and and found this thing that prevents you from being able to run. Now, the reason I say this is a absurd barrier, not just because the whole point of the of, of of the rules are to make sure you're someone who lives there, you're someone in the community, you're not a carpetbagger. You've lived there, you've lived in your district for what two years now, two and a half years, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's- Probably closer to two and a half years, but yes, yeah. well, well longer than the required amount. My mail yeah. goes there. My kids go to school here. You know, it's definitely not that I just moved to the district to run for this spot. It's definitely that I've been residing here. You've been there for years. You've lived in Oklahoma or resided in Oklahoma your entire adult life. Mm-hmm. You're not a carpet bagger. It's an absurd restriction. I say it's additionally restrict uh, absurd because I guarantee you that if there were a Republican golden child that wanted to start their uh, uh, start their career by running for this you know office, and there were a similar restriction in place, the the state GOP would be able to move hell and high water to get some one off easement from a from a judge there to be able to have them run. I I don't know that for certain, but knowing how Republicans and Democrats operate. More than likely, that's what they wouldn't let some pesky, you know, one month off from from, a, you know, meeting a deadline, stop them from being able to run someone they wanted. Um, so I just think the that funny, the entire. Go ahead. The funny thing with that is that it's actually kind of happened. Um, so as long as nobody contests it, if it somehow it gets missed and you end up running and you win, which we have had that happen, apparently, where. Um, Republicans, I guess, had ran actually a few candidates that they knew that some of them were going to be paper candidates as a distraction. So that way people oh, wouldn't okay. pull the, the, you know, the information and then the other people dropped and then the person that didn't have the full six months was able to proceed. But, you know, I knew that because they filed, pulled that information, 
and they knew that, obviously, of course, they're going to file that against me um, because they were threatened. So I take it as a compliment. Um, but I, if nobody would have contested it, then it would have been fine. But it was being contested. It was only being contested. It wasn't like if, if you got if you won the race, they'd come and arrest you for breaking Correct. the rules or whatever. Like it would just be like, oh, no one knew. Okay, she still won. Someone mentioned in the and and I actually want to. I'm going to mention this now, and we can touch on it later because it was kind of closer to the end that I was going to ask about this. Um, but uh, someone made a suggestion that uh, that everyone just writes you in anyway. <laughs> everyone just writes your name. And is this a, a race that can do a write in, or do you know? Um, I don't think you can. Oh, okay. um, in all honesty, but as much as I would appreciate that, um, realistically. I would not win with the amount that would be needed for that. But I, I do love the suggestion. That is funny. And you actually were running to win. Like, oh, you yeah, were, I mean, you had a serious, you were going to be raising like a hundred grand easily. Uh, and I, and, and when I say you were going to be doing that easily, just the people that were reaching out to me alone, telling me that, that you needed to that be on the show, they themselves could have gotten you the numbers that you were needing to get to be able to see even before. I was anyone already else, like, at almost 10,000. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, you were you were not going to have a problem raising that. Uh, you know, your your well known name in your community, people know you. Uh, you were kind of, I mean, you know, everything looked great. Uh, what were the reasons? What were the main things that you wanted to accomplish? Like, if you had been able to run and you did get elected, what were your main goals going to be in the Oklahoma Senate? Absolutely. Well, there was a few different things that I actually wanted to achieve, one of which being this would have been the highest position that a libertarian in Oklahoma has been able to achieve. So just being able to take the fact that I would be at a high enough level to educate others on the libertarian platform and convert even more um, was part of it, as well as showing that, hey, we can win positions as well. Um, And then outside of that, when it comes to actual issues, my number one issue was criminal justice reform. Um, and that is because I don't know how much you know about Oklahoma in general, but we are ranked number two when it comes to um, incarceration per capita, and we are ranked number one for imprisoning women. So the amount of people that we have in, in prison is just crazy. Um, most of those are drug offenses. And we sentence our nonviolent criminals 80 to 100 percent longer than most other states in the United States. So it's not even just a matter of the pure percentage of people that we're imprisoning, but it's how long we're keeping them in prison. We have people on drug offenses that have 20 plus years, and then we have, you know, rapists that are out after five. Right. And that's part of the reason why you have such a high prison population is the inertia of so many being in there for longer in the first place because they're throwing the book at everyone that's going in front of the judges. So I would assume that there's a huge cottage industry around the prison industrial complex in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. So what were, so when you say criminal justice reforms, what were your top, say two or three like policy proposals that you would have had for criminal justice reform? Yes. So there was one bill that I don't had um, been voted on in November that didn't pass. And I think that it was mostly because of the fact that it wasn't marketed properly. And basically what it was allowing uh, or was proposing is that you wouldn't be able to stack sentences on nonviolent criminals Mm. that have reoccurring um, uh, cases. And that got shot down like 65%, I believe, 
voted no on it. And it's because there really wasn't enough information out there and it wasn't painted in a correct way. But that's definitely uh, rewriting that bill would have been one of the things that I would look into. Um, decriminalizing drugs. I am huge, huge, huge on uh, decriminalizing drugs. We now have uh, medicinal cannabis that was uh, voted in a couple years ago here in Oklahoma, and we need to start getting people out of the prisons that are still there on marijuana charges. Like, it's just crazy to me um, that that happens, you know, so there's definitely some bills around those areas that I wanted to look into first. Um, so rewriting the state question 805, um, and then also looking at decriminalizing um, drug offenses and getting people out of the prisons that are there on drug charges. That's good. That's good. That's the kind of stuff that needs to happen. Uh, remind me after the show, because there's someone that, uh, an activist that wants to work with people and she's based in Colorado, but she wants to work with people in other States who have had decriminalization of, of, uh, marijuana and other drugs, but still have people in prison for it to, to work on like kind of a nationwide state by state effort to advocate for them to be pardoned and have their records expunged because why are they in jail for something that's legal now? Uh, or at least the sale for certain ex- examples is, is legal now. So I, uh, I will try to remember to, to get you her information because, because she was trying to do that. But so you had some, some serious policy proposals that you wanted to bring in. Yes. The thing that everyone else in the country is talking about right now are the lockdowns, but Oklahoma has, is like one of the few States that has had almost nothing, right? Is that still the case? So we did have one lockdown um, right towards the beginning of the pandemic, and it was pretty um, pretty impactful in our communities. We had a lot of small businesses, mostly gyms, um, some bakeries, um, boutiques, stuff like that, uh, some waxing and hair salons that ended up never reopening because of the fact that since they were down for probably about a month, um, it, it basically completely put them out Destroyed of business, their business. Because, yep. Yep. you know, small businesses anyways, you know, they, they don't make huge profits. They basically make enough money each month to pay all their bills, pay their staff, and then have a little bit of profit left over to live off of yep. before they go into the next month. So they could not recover. And so, you know, I don't foresee us having another shutdown because the backlash was so strong from the first one. Um, we do have a kind of ridiculous law, in my opinion, that was passed recently, or not law, but um, stipulation where bars and anywhere serving alcohol, like restaurants, has to close at 11, you know, because apparently COVID doesn't, COVID. you know, spreads higher after 11 o'clock. COVID, um, and, and in places that sell alcohol specifically, COVID senses it and comes in. Yeah, exactly. It, so, uh you know, that was a situation that we're dealing with right now. But outside of that, yes, we do um, have pretty lax, you know, mask laws and stuff like that, or um, not laws, but regulations, right, you know, compared right. to other states. That's right. So that's not as hot button of an issue there now anyway, as it is, for example, pretty much in every other part of the country where, <laughs> where you know, the, the, there are, are lockdowns and, and other measures being proposed. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, how much it affected small businesses. Um, going around the country campaigning, I had so many people that came that weren't even libertarians, but they heard someone who was running for vice president was in town and they wanted someone to know that their business had been destroyed by the lockdowns and that, you know, they were now operating out of their house and trying to, you know, cause this was like summertime, mostly summer and, and early fall, uh, pretty much from like, um, 
July to October that most of my campaigning was done and uh, or July through October and they would say you know and if these lockdowns come back it's over I'm going to lose absolutely I've already lost almost everything and I'm going to lose absolutely everything and now I know these lockdowns are coming back and I've I've looked at these people and talked to these people whose businesses are being destroyed while they watch trillions of dollars being handed to you know, major hotel corporations, major airlines, you know, all, all the companies that are being affected, not to mention the companies that are making money hand over fist, like Amazon and all the social media companies and, and uh, you know, Netflix and, and, uh, and, and Walmart and Whole Foods and Target and all that. They're making money hand over fist because that's the only place you can go right now. Uh, the, another thing that's not talked about is that the restaurants are being destroyed by the fact that people are staying home and using DoorDash, which takes a third of the co- takes a third of the money from the restaurants. So they have fewer customers. Their uh, their employees aren't getting any tips, and they're giving a third of their money to you know these major companies like DoorDash and others that that you know make. It's just it's a massive wealth transfer from those with the least to those with the most. So I'm, I'm glad to hear at least that the, it doesn't look like they're going to be redoing it in, in, in Oklahoma. So I guess I have one of two questions. Number one, before we get back to what your plans are, do you know, does, is, is the Libertarian Party planning, do they have anyone else that they're going to try to run for this position or, uh, or do, do you know what they're doing there? Or I don't believe so, no. Okay, okay. Um, because obviously, you know, this was a... a, a I think it was kind of a one thing where it was like, let's try to do this, but you know, they they may not want to put the resources into it. Especially, I think you were going to have a very hard fought race. I think you were going to win it, but I think that it was going to actually be a pretty hard fought race just because there was nothing else going on. And mm-hmm. the fact that you should be flattered by the fact that they were already doing oppo research on you and doing everything they could to, to knock you out early because they knew that you were the most likely one to win and they knew they were going to have to fight hard for a seat that they probably usually don't even have to it's like who wants this seat okay here you can have it you know it's a very very deep red state um so uh what are your plans or or are you still formulate you know what now that you you know don't have to worry about uh you know a very short because this would the elections what in april 6th is when the election will will be since there is going to be a primary Okay, so there's going to be the, I guess, Republican and Democrat primaries in February, and then April 6th will be the election. So this was going to be a pretty short, fast-paced race. Now that you have that off your plate, what is it that you, what what are you planning to do? Are you looking forward to 2022, or, you know, what is it that you're going to be doing? Uh, Yes, so that's exactly what I'm doing. I haven't exactly settled on what I'm going to run for yet, because there are three different opportunities that are pretty high up on the uh, radar for me. Um, that I can run for in 2022. Uh, So what I'm doing now is I'm continuing to lay more groundwork, especially since I know that this is something that I'm going to do. I am going to do all that I can now uh, whenever it comes to, you know, acquiring information. So I have joined the newsletters of the um, the House District, the Senate District, the Lieutenant Governor, everybody who makes any kind of decision, basically, pretty much. I have, you know, signed on to their newsletters to start receiving it. Um, I am, I will, I will warn you and tell you, I am probably one of the most ridiculously organized people in the world. And so when I say these like crazy things I'm about to say, um, know that that's just the way that my brain works, but I've actually scheduled out time in my calendar, um, every weekday that is going to be dedicated to 
um, reading the newsletters, you know, paying attention to what's going on in areas where I normally wouldn't pay attention. I've subscribed to the newspaper again, the, the old fashioned, you know, newspaper. Where they throw, where they throw it to your house and yeah, yes, wow. Throwing it at my house. Yeah. They still do that. <laughs> so uh, doing that, um, I'm going to continue, you know, with the nonprofit work that I've been doing. And I've actually, uh, am working with a couple of other new nonprofits as well. Um, there are two groups that I'm going to be getting more involved with that actually pertain directly to initiatives that I want to take, um, one of which is Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform. It's a yep. great nonprofit here that they're the ones that helped put together State Question 805. And so I'm going to be working and uh, getting together with them and trying to see what I can do to help kind of push their initiatives. I'm also um, part of the uh, Oklahoma Second Amendment Association. So I'm going to get even more involved with them as well as um, the YWCA, which, uh, you know, it's a national organization, kind of like the YMCA, mm-hmm. um, that helps, uh, you know, women mostly in domestic violence situations, homelessness, uh, cases like that. So um, an interesting thing that popped up recently that I didn't realize about is when women are um, raped or assaulted and they go to hospitals and have rape kits done and stuff like that, the um the crime victims fund will cover like the 495 dollars of the cost of the rape kit but the rest of the medical bills that are taken up from that are actually still left to the victim to pay which is absolutely crazy to me and it's something that i had never thought of before and so i, yeah. I called up the coo of the ywca and i'm like is there not an organization or a nonprofit that helps with this and She's like, not that I have seen, she's like, you know, the hospitals are nonprofits. And so a lot of times they'll work with them or they'll cut the cost down. Or sometimes if they have the funding for it, they'll forgive the bill. But no, there's, there's not an organization right now to, you know, help these women. So, you know, they, they get raped or assaulted. They have to go through this horrible process and then they get a medical bill in the mail afterwards. So I'm working with them to come up with something to um, come up with a nonprofit to help raise money to take care of medical bills for uh, women in those cases. So um, getting more involved, connecting with as many people as possible, um, getting involved with the Chamber of Commerce is again, networking like crazy. You know, basically my goal is by the time 2022 rolls around, people are going to have seen my name in so many places and had me knock on their door so many times for other things that the name recognition is going to be there strong. So then all I have to do is follow that up with reasons why they need to vote for me. Which you will have already told because in all honesty, and it's, it's bizarre because it's kind of inverse of how it should be. We think when we think of who we're running for, for president or Senate or governor or something like that, we tend to get into their policies even though it's at the local level that government is most likely to affect you, it's the decisions you make as a state senator or even city, you know, a city council person or mayor or whatever that are more likely to actually affect them on a day-to-day basis. But in those more localized races, it's often based on, do I know this person? Have I ever heard of them? Do I have any reason to think they care about me and the people in this community? You know, it, it, are they someone that represents my community well that I would be proud to say that they are my, you know, state rep or, or you know, mayor or city council person or whatever, even though it, so it's like it becomes less about policy, although that's important. It a lot of times a lot of people will vote for you because they go, Natalie Bruno. Yeah, she was part of this thing she started where they, you know, it turns out that you know, rape victims are having to pay for their own medical expenses. And, you know, they're helping, you know, pay for the cover of that and bring awareness to the situation. I'm going to vote for her based on that. Even even if they looked at your policies and went, eh, 
but the fact that you're doing that makes is you know enough for them to to actually vote for you so I'm going to have to remember to timestamp this part of it because of this interview, because on my culture of winning, when I'm talking to uh, my, my show that I'm doing on my on the Spike Cohen social media, where I talk to libertarians who have been elected to office and a lot of people that want to run uh, for offices are watching that. And we're trying to come up with, you know, the blueprint. How do you effectively run all the stuff you just said that you're going to be doing? is literally what everyone needs to be doing who wants to be running in 2022 or even this year in 2021 if there's like a by-election or whatever. Or even in 2024, you really should be starting as soon as possible if you are not already being active in your community across the board. Community service, uh, uh, community uh, endeavors, community-based endeavors, reaching out to like Second Amendment groups, reaching out to, uh, you know, uh, uh, child advocacy groups, reaching out to criminal justice reform groups, anyone who has a common thread or a common interest that that plays well into what we as libertarians want, reach out to them. You know, this is the kind of stuff that you need to do. And in your local area, you know better than me what what your area, you know, what your the interest in those area are. So, you, you know, you can fill those gaps better than me. But what Natalie's doing, do that. So when you say, what should I be doing? Do what Natalie just said that she's doing. Like, do all of those things. One thing I wanted to ask you, and and you can tell me better than, you you know better than me. Um, My understanding, there's a very large uh, native population, uh, indigenous population in Oklahoma. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Because at one point it was actually where they were going to send all the natives. And so it's like a very large, there was a large indigenous native population. And then there were a lot of natives brought there from other areas. One right. thing I can uh, tell you, and you probably already know this in your area, um, the treatment that natives are receiving, especially on the re- reservations, but really in general, is by the government is egregious, and it is leading to the bad outcomes that natives have. The rate of COVID-19 infections in native communities, especially the reservations, is exponentially higher than anywhere else. The rates of addiction are exponentially higher. The rates of child malnourishment are exponentially higher. The rates of uh, um, the rates of um, uh, 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 ongoing uh, uh, poverty are and homelessness are are much higher, much 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 higher. Uh, the rates of unemployment are much higher uh, on their grounds in reservations when they try to do anything like build a new property. Uh, add some more cattle to their farm. Uh, add some more uh, crops to their farm try to start a business, anything they want to do, they have to go through this Byzantine process with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and wait months or years to usually be told no. But if they go ahead and just do it anyway, within a matter of days, someone comes to you know tear it up or seize it or whatever. So it's not that they're not responsive. They're just only responsive to stop you from doing anything. Have, there, have you um, put any thought into potentially reaching out to uh, indigenous and native rights groups, because there's a, I can tell you, there's a lot of, lot of common thread there between what their goals are and what our goals are as libertarians. Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that. So uh, the largest tribe here in Oklahoma is the Chickasaw Nation. They own the largest casino in the world that is actually here in Oklahoma at the one mile line of uh, 35 in Texas, um, 35 that goes from Oklahoma to Texas. Um, and I actually work for them for a number of years. Oh, okay. And, you know, they do a phenomenal job in our state. Actually, um, all of the tribes, the citizens of the Potawatomi Nation, the Choctaws, um, they have casinos. They generate a ton of revenue for our state. 
um, that then ends up obviously getting used into a lot of our programs, education, and stuff like that. So recently, you know, right before COVID pretty much, there was a huge, huge, huge fight because um, it was the 15-year mark from whenever we allowed gaming. And with the gaming, there's a certain percentage that is paid into the state um, that's, um, I believe it's 8%, 8 or 9%. Uh, and basically, it also allowed it to where non-tribal gaming is not allowed to come into the state. So it was kind of like a double, a double, double deal for them. So okay. Um, it was assumed that they were going to go ahead and renew that 15 years where, well, our current governor ticked off everybody and essentially was going to say, no, we're not going to renew it unless you almost double the percentage that you are paying into the state. Wow. Which was crazy because one, to an extent, I understand what the governor was saying because the amount that they pay versus like the casinos in Nevada and stuff like that, like the casino industry in general, it is a decently low amount. But to ask for them to jump up to, um, I believe it was, I want to say it was 12 or 13%, jump up that much yeah. in one year is crazy. Um, second of all, um, they were basically slapping them in the face, in my opinion, because even though that's all that they, you know, pay in, the Chickasaw Nation especially, you know, does an impeccable job of donating so much money to the local rural schools in Southern Oklahoma They've helped pay for proms. I mean, they have done so much uh, buying technology. I mean, I would be shocked if they don't give equally the amount of money that they pay into that the state. That they're trying to they yeah. control where that goes. So um, they actually all got together, all of the chiefs and um, of all of the tribes, and it was formed a United for Oklahoma, which was a, a group to basically help fight the fact that the governor was doing this. And so they did right. reach a, a temporary agreement because of COVID. Um, but I foresee it jumping back up as an issue, but, um, absolutely. There's a lot of tribal issues here. I am definitely on the side of the tribes in this and whenever it makes sense, you know, I absolutely plan on reaching out to, uh, governor and Noah Tony, the Chickasaw nation and the other tribes as well to get their blessing. Good, good, good. I, I think I, and I, I will say this, the single biggest demographic and we as libertarians look at people as individuals, but often people experience their, their their treatment at the hands of government based on things that are outside of their control, like their demographics. And specifically for Native Americans, they are the largest single demographic in this country that is essentially being completely ignored by Republicans or Democrats. You know, uh, African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, they have at least a level of pandering and lip service that is given to them by one or both of the parties. Uh, uh, with Hispanic Americans, you kind of have a, because they're the fastest growing minority demographic, you've got the Republicans and Democrats trying to, you know, push hard to, to get their vote. Natives are largely ignored, especially on the national level and mm -hmm. even at the state level. And because they're ignored and because there's an, an inertia of ignoring them, and I think part of it is also the fact that a lot of politicians don't like addressing that really ugly history of why that's a problem in the first place. That, you know, this, <laughs> the, the history of how the federal government has treated these, these communities and, uh, and, and, and the people in them that, uh, I, I think it's not only is it the right thing for us to do as libertarians to reach out to them, but it also from a just purely political 
you know, electoral strategy standpoint, they are a completely ignored population. And in an area like Oklahoma, where they make up a, a sizable percentage of the population, you know, what a great opportunity that we have. So this sounds great that you're doing these things. And um, so you that's your your goals in terms of what you want to do, you know, running for office in the future. Um, what is it? You know, and again, I, I'm I'm half of this is because we aren't talking about you know your your strategy for running. I, I want to get your thoughts on other things. Like I said, I see this. I see myself. This half of this episode is just me getting in on the Natalie Bruno rising star at like as close to ground. I'm not at ground floor because I already had people reaching out to me, but I'm at like tier two or three of that pyramid, and I want to really get in early. So I want to ask you. It's just some of your thoughts nationally. Um, what do you think is the biggest single thing on the national scale that libertarians should be talking about right now, just in your opinion? That's probably something I'm going to be asking my guests for, for at least the next few episodes, just to get thoughts on, like, what would you say is, like, at the top of the issue if you had to pick one thing that libertarians should be talking about nationwide? I would say probably getting more support to the states. So really looking at growing, you know, how we're supporting, uh, you know, state chairs, state initiatives. I would love to see some like regional offices instead of just a national office. Okay. I would love to see even more um, literature and information given out to start youth programs. So, you know, at a lot of the high schools, there's, you know, young young Democrats and young uh, Republicans. I would love to see young libertarians i would love to see literature given to the schools to you know to give to students i would love to see more college outreach you know especially since as we saw you know throughout the election our bread and butter the biggest group of people that was coming to our website that was coming to our social media pages was the um was the millennial base the 25 yeah. to 34 we were hot 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 in yep and yep. the younger demographics of, of people you know those are going to be the people that continue to join the libertarian party because they've had enough of both sides you know they have been raised with that very social and um, you know awareness and acceptance of all and being tired of paying for everything yep and you know these are going to be the people that are going to be our future and so we need to spend a lot more focus on reaching out to those um younger voters and the younger voter base Instead of doing what all the other parties say, which is like, oh, they don't go to the polls, so we'll ignore them. Well, that's fine. You can ignore them. We'll take them. Exactly. You ignore them. We'll take them. And I hate that argument. They don't vote. Why don't they vote? So imagine if all of our politics was, what's that? I said, because they feel like their voice isn't going to be heard and that it doesn't matter. Exactly. Because no one's talking to them. You know, you say they don't vote. Okay. Imagine if we had a, and yes, there are some structural reasons for that too. We have elections on Tuesday. Well, a lot of young people are voting, are are working on Tuesday. And even if they're allowed to take that time off, they can't afford to. You know who can? People that are already retired. They can afford to take Tuesday off. Or people that own a business and they can just have their workers do it and they can go and, and, and vote. Like, it, the, the, the millennials are, you know, uh, less structurally, you know, able to participate in that, which is why I'm actually a big fan of, of opening up the abilities to be able to vote. But that's a whole other subject. But another big part of it is that the policies don't really speak to younger people. Like, imagine if our if all of our policies were built around disenfranchising old people and and you know robbing from them to pay for a a pension plan for young people and and 
and then they stopped voting as a result of it because no one was speaking to them. And we started saying, well, we shouldn't even be talking to old people. They don't vote. You know, that that's why they're not voting. And, and, and you know, we... We were polling. Joe and I were polling in the double digits with with millennials, uh, routinely, like 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 uh, um, you know, like reliably polling in the in the in the double digits in in polls where you know even some of the polls where we weren't even you know registering with with other with other groups, we were polling in the double digits with them. Anecdotally, at my at my events, and I, I know at Joe's events at well as well, the average age was probably late 20s early 30s for the people that were coming out we had a ton of people i had people that would come out and the the parents would get dragged in by their kids uh who wanted to come see us and even though the kids weren't voting age they were browbeating their parents because of something they saw from me on tiktok or or twitter or something to to vote for us so i mean it's it is you know that is i i do believe that you know that the youth are the future specifically for our party and also they're the ones that are going to be alive in 60 years so why would we not be influencing them you know some of it's watering the tree that we won't enjoy the shade of but it's like to build that future for the party so i I agree Mm -hmm. with you and i will tell you from a local standpoint everything i've been hearing from the lnc uh is that they are putting together the crm and the other tools and equipment that will be able to be utilized by the state and local affiliates to have the the actual infrastructural things that they need uh, to be able to to put out that kind of stuff, and I, I think your young libertarians idea is perfect. We need college libertarians. We need young libertarians. We need all of that stuff to be engaging these folks because another part of that is you know you said that that young people grew up to be socially accepting. They also grew up in a con- in a, a culture of consent that mm-hmm. everything is based on consent, right? They opt into everything. The idea of you're forced to do something, no, that's unacceptable. Um, you know, things that were seen as, you know, unspoken okays in the past, they'll say now, no, you're not getting someone's consent to do that. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. We're the only party that is consistent in our philosophy that it's all about consent. Consent is the difference between it being okay or not. And we want to build build a culture based around consent that fits in perfectly with what young people have been told their entire lives. So I, I think that that's absolutely perfect. You as a, you know, 22 year old, you know that. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to say, and, 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 you know, Natalie, it has been fantastic having you on and I, I'm glad we were able to do this. I want to give you a chance before I let you go. Actually, I'm going to go through uh, some of these uh, questions that we have. Um, Cause there was a bunch of them. Uh, A lot of people telling me I definitely need to go to Oklahoma. So you got you got a lot of you got a lot of support on. Well, that. that's a given. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I got I got to get to Oklahoma. Um, people saying the name uh, Princess Rivulet, the 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 the, um, the woman I'm going to get you in touch with about uh, a lot of people expressing anger. Uh, there's I haven't seen a lot of questions here, but a lot of people um, uh, are expressing anger at that you weren't able to run Kathy Theory. Uh, reached out to you, uh, said it's Kathy with the postcards. Yes. And she said to, to let her know that she's still willing to do whatever needs to be done uh, awesome. for, for that. Oh, here was a question. Do you know, like, your, your the prison system that is in Oklahoma, is that mostly, like, for-profit prison system, or is that run yeah, by the uh, state? Yeah, three private prisons. Okay. So, and so there's a cottage industry built around lobbying for more laws to get more people, yeah. Um. 
da, 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 da. and let's see yeah this is all everyone really is waiting for you to run for something <laughs> uh so <laughs> they're very excited i think you, you got a lot of fans well, good. here. Like, i'm glad i'm excited yeah. um someone said they love me uh that's nice um Oh, my social media director, uh, Caitlin Cloven, said demographics for social engagement on on my on the VP page was overwhelmingly twenty five to thirty four, which is that's our sweet spot, right? Like that's who we yes. need to be reaching is you know people that are just a little bit older than you uh, to be able to to you know be able to to to, to grow this thing. So, so then you know, Natalie, I it was fantastic having you on. You are welcome to come back on anytime. I'm really happy that you came on. Before I let you go. I want to give you a chance to say anything that you want to say to our, our amazing audience here. Uh, I always like to give my guests the, the, the final word to say whatever it is you feel like needs to be said, anything you want to plug, anything you want to talk about. As long as you want, you have as much time as you want. Natalie Bruno, the floor is yours. Awesome. Well, again, Spike, thank you so much for still having me on, even though I'm not running for this election, but I will be, so watch out. In the meantime, you know, anybody who wants to be involved with anything in the future, definitely jump in my DMs. This is a woman telling you to get in my DMs, please. Um, outside of that, you know, the only other thing that I would say besides thank you guys so much for the crazy amount of support that I was receiving, even in just a short little amount of time, yeah. is that um, anybody else who is planning to run or thinking about running, there are so many people that you can reach out to, even, besides even just your state party. There's so many of us that worked on the national campaign that would love to help get involved. We want to see people get elected. You know, it is a butterfly effect. The more people that we can get elected, the better, the more name recognition, the more that they can see that libertarians can win. We are winners. And, you know, I love what, you know, Spike, what you've been doing with the uh, podcast on that. I think that that's fantastic. I love it. I've been watching every episode. Um, so keep that up and, you. uh, you know, reach out to people and, you know, reach out to myself if you're running and you need some connections, you know, I kept, you know, emails and cell phone numbers of a whole lot of people that I can help put you in contact with. If you're like, you know, I could really use some help with social, or I could usually really use some help with this. Um, just, just reach out. We're, we're basically a giant family now. You know, I can be like that crazy weird cousin that knows everybody and can help you out. So just reach out and thank you so much for the support and thanks for having me on. Natalie Bruno for crazy cousin. I, I want to say something. The reason that you had so many people uh, that were reaching out early on and ready to get under you is the same reason why there were so many people reaching out to me saying you need to get her on your show. People sense that there's something big in you that this is just the beginning and that there's there's going to be we we have a lot of hopes vested in you. No pressure, no pressure. But it all <laughs> rides on you, and if you don't do well, it's all going to crumble and fall apart. But no pressure. No pressure. No, right. no pressure at all. No pressure. Well, Natalie, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Natalie Bruno, thank you again. Bye, everyone. And folks, and if you don't mind sticking around, I'm going to talk to you briefly during the outro. Yeah. Folks, thanks again for tuning in to this very special pre-Hanukkah episode of My Fellow Americans. Tomorrow, it's one more sleep until Hanukkah. And I am so excited because I am Jewish. And uh, I have been told that there are a lot of gifts for me. And I'm very excited about that. And I hope that you have a blessed Hanukkah, whether or not you're Jewish. It's still Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah for everybody. So I hope you have a great Hanukkah. Tune in tomorrow on Hanukkah uh, for, uh, actually, is that 
Can Juice do stuff on Hanukkah? Well, anyway, I'm doing it. Uh, on Thursday at 8 p.m., uh, I'm having my next episode of Culture of Winning, and I forgot to put up who my next guest is. It is Donna Gundel-Krieg. Uh, she is uh, going to be on tomorrow at 10 uh, and then I, we're doing a, one more Friday episode because I was trying to get as many of these done before the end of the year as possible. Uh, another episode of Culture Winning on Friday, which is both Hanukkah and Shabbat. My wife's going to be so mad that I'm doing this. Uh, Friday at eleven. Uh, Friday at eight. Uh, I'm interviewing Scott Bowman uh, up in Detroit, and uh, and then have a great weekend. And I will see you uh, on uh, Monday for Culture Winning. Uh, and I don't have on there who my guest is for culture winning on Monday for some reason. Uh, but then, uh, tune in, uh, next Tuesday for the muddy waters of freedom where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events, like the sweet little holiday cherubs that we are. And then, uh, tune in again right here, same spike place, same spike time, which is Wednesday at eight, uh, for my fellow Americans where I will be interviewing you're not going to believe who I'm interviewing. It's going to be a fantastic surprise for both of us because I didn't write that down either. But folks, thanks again for tuning in. Have a great evening. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.